Hero Sha 256. Now most folks walking this earth have never seen those letters and numbers put together in that way, let alone get any meaning out of it. But hopefully I can help pull back that curtain and show you the true magic. Why is it considered one of the most central algorithms of our modern age? Why is it the most computed algorithm across the earth? Well, here you go. It stands for Secure Hash Algorithm, and 256 stands for 256. There you go. Boom. Maybe there's a little more to unpack here, huh? <laughs> Let's start here. The letter A stands for algorithm. Now, that's a really fancy word to basically say set of steps or like a recipe. For example, my grandmother makes incredible fruitcake. Basically, she reads a recipe that has the list of needed ingredients and then the series of steps and how long each should take, what temperature the oven is on, you know, that sort of thing. Commonly, we just refer to that as a recipe, cooking recipe, kitchen recipe, or something like that. But you could also call it an algorithm. While we're at it, the Goodyear vulcanization of rubber to give us our modern understanding of rubber these days. Or for that matter, Bessemer steel. Bessemer steel is basically a recipe. Here's what you start with. Here's how you do it. Here's the steps that you take. And shaboom, you can make any kind of steel that you want. Commonly, we could call that an industrial process or maybe trade secret, but really it's an algorithm. So reasonably, we could actually use that word algorithm when we're describing anything that we're doing, any industrial process, any series of steps we go through. My morning routine to get to work is an algorithm. But yeah, we tend to use the word algorithm in mathematical and computing contexts when talking about a series of steps or anything used to accomplish a certain goal. So yeah, SHA-256 is an algorithm. It's a series of exact steps. And this algorithm is totally public to the world. Anyone can use it. And bearing in mind that it's a list of mathematical or computational steps, it's kind of written in math, usually. And it's not specific to any one language. And for that matter, it's not necessarily programmed in any one language. It's just a general outline and a general recipe in a general process. Now let's back up a letter and look at H, hash. Ooh, there's the magic word. Now we're not talking about some illegal contraband that gets caught at the airport here. Hash has a very special meaning in this context. Now this can be approached from lots of different angles, and let's try out a few. First, let's jump back to the 40s here. Okay, so we're talking punch cards, you know, World War, and that kind of thing. So there's this dude, Hans Peter Lund, and he's working there with IBM. One thing he was trying to do is create some kind of index. You can feed in any document or text file and pop out a 30-digit number. That way he can store all these unique index values only. And if someone tries to send the same file twice, he can check, like, nope, I already have that index. Nice, so he can actually find duplicates instantly. And for perspective, he didn't have modern machines to work with like we do now. He had to build this his darn self. Vacuum tubes, all that magic, right? But his whole thing of creating an index with a given input, that's called hashing. You can input pretty much anything, and it'll spit out a 30-digit number, 100-digit number, whatever you want. What main advantages does this have? Well, let's think about it. First of all, file redundancy. Let's just say you're trying to download 3 million articles, but there's only about 500 unique ones. 
well, it'd be nice if you could just download the 500 unique ones and not download any duplicates. Yeah, if every file has a hash, you can just check to see if you have that hash already. Instead of downloading the entire thing, then looking at it, and then comparing it, nah, you know right away. Another advantage is storing the original files can be huge, but storing the hashes is easy. Because let's face it, the hash is only a 50-digit number. Now, we could use other words to describe the same thing. For example, we could say it's a digital fingerprint of that file. We could also call it a digest. I guess you could call it hash output or hash value. But it really all means the same thing, doesn't it? Input something, get out a big old number. Another huge thing this unlocks is verifying if it's an original document. For example, if you and I want to sign a contract with our names on there and a dollar value and so forth, we can slap that through a hash algorithm and it'll pop out a fingerprint, digest, code, hash value. Down the road, if someone takes that document and slaps their name on there or changes a dollar amount, well, they can, but if they try to hash it, nope, different value. Ah, so we only accept documents if the hashes match. Oh, so we can tell which one's the original. Nice. Another big thing this unlocks is something called file integrity. One thing a lot of people forget is sending stuff over the internet is a really messy thing. Said differently, at least half the information gets corrupted, ones get flipped to zeros, or there's some kind of mistake. So without any checks or whatnot, if you try to send a document digitally to someone else, or medical prescription, or orders for your army, or whatever, if there's a 10% chance that words are all messed up in there, well, that's no good. So now person A can take their document and hash it, and then send over the hash. Then they can send the file and say, all right, you hash it now. Do they match? If so, you got it 100% exactly. That's cool. So you can be 100% sure that you have the 100% original. That opens up a lot of doors, my friend. <laughs> so our boy Hans Peters Lund was the first guy we credit with the first official hash algorithm. Shortly after that, people really started to see the power of what hashing can do. It's a whole new branch of computer science. So I'll keep repeating this. All it does, take some sort of input and spit out a hash value of a certain length. That's it. So at its simplest form, you could actually build it however you want. But now we get to that first letter there. Secure. Secure hash algorithm. How is that any different? Well, first requirement is this. Whatever algorithm you choose, take all this input, spit out a output hash value, it should be impossible to go backwards. That means if you have the hash value, the hash digest, signature, etc., it should be impossible to know what was the input. The fancy word for this is pre-image. So a secure hash algorithm must have pre-image resistance. Next, there should be no patterns in the output. For example, if I change one letter of the password, the hash should be completely different, such that there's no way to determine which letter was changed or what's different. In short, whatever that output is should look super random. The third thing is they use this word sufficiently large. They also use words like feasible, doable. That means the output, the hash digest, should be so large that it's infeasible for two inputs to have the same output. Likewise, it's infeasible to guess. For example, if the output is zero to a million, 
Well, you can basically guess a whole bunch of stuff and eventually you hit it. It also needs to be public, such that anyone in the world, including mathematicians, cryptographers, or the average Joe, can crack it open and see how it works. It should be free to download and free for everyone to use across the world. And it should work exactly the same for everybody, every time. So for example, if I have a document, I go and download a SHA-256 maker on my Linux machine and get the hash, versus someone who's on the other side of the world and does an online hash generator or whatever kind of machine you're running anywhere in the world, SHA-256 will spit out the same value every time, without exception. So let's touch on just a little bit how it works, and then we'll talk about the broader implications and broader uses. All right, I've got a new one for you. Modulus. Modulo. It's a really fun word to say. It's spelled M-O-D-U-L-U-S. Modulus. Really, it just means remainder. Let's think about it this way, nice and simple. Let's say we got ourselves a clock. Well, if it's 3 o'clock, after 3 more hours, it'll be 6 o'clock. Easy enough. 4 more hours, it'll be 10 o'clock. And the little hand will work its way around until it hits the 10. But three hours later, it'll be one o'clock again. Oh, it starts over, it's like a circle. Oh, so the largest number this clock can display is 12. After that, it starts back over. Okay, that's modulus. We could think of a clock as modulus 12. That means any number displayed will always be less than 12. So noon plus one hour equals one o'clock. Noon plus 13 hours equals one o'clock. Noon plus 25 hours equals one o'clock. So again, that's all it means. However many hours in the future you wanna go on this clock, the result will be compressed, squeezed, or shoved into some number less than 12. Let's think of another example. We'll sit around watching American football. Let's say the scoreboard, though, is only two digits wide. That means the minimum score you could show is 0-0. The maximum score you can show is 9-9. Okay. So we could consider that modulo 100. The only scores it can display is less than 100. So if they have 50 points and score seven more, boom, they got 57. So far, so good. If they have 97 points and score three more, oh, it goes back to zero, according to our little two-digit scoreboard anyway. Saying in another way, any number larger than 99, we're just gonna cut the left part off, really, and just focus on these last two digits. If indeed the game of football consistently scored in the hundreds of points, that would not be a very useful scoreboard at all. <laughs> but given the history of the game, two digits is usually enough. But let's explore this a little more. What if I have a number like, in my mind, 150? Well, the scoreboard would just show 50. So 150 plus 5, the scoreboard's going to show 55. What if we went a little crazier here? For that matter, what if I have a million plus five million and 20? What's the scoreboard gonna show? 20, the rest is all cut off. But so what? So just as an example, I can think to myself, two secret numbers that only I know, and they're long and huge and ugly. But when you add them together, the scoreboard is gonna say 72. What are my two magic numbers? There's no way you can know. It's impossible. You could make some guesses in this case, 0 and 72, 140 plus 32, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You can guess, but you don't know. So in this example, by making the scoreboard only two digits long, 
we're stripping out other information, which makes it sort of a one-way thing. In other words, once you see the score on the scoreboard, you don't know where did the game start? How many did they score last? How did we get here? You don't know. Same thing with the clock. I can invent a new secret number that only I know. And I could say, hey, three o'clock plus my secret magic number equals seven o'clock. What was my magic number? Well, it could be four, 12 plus four, 24 plus four. It could be infinite possible things. Huh. So we're starting to get somewhere a little bit interesting. So really, we just take this simple idea of modulus, like clocks and two-digit scoreboard there, and dial it up. Oh yeah, and then the numbers they bring that to are so far beyond human conception. Y'all know million, billion, trillion, quadzillion. Uh-huh. How much higher than that do you know off the top of your head? Ooh, one with 100 zeros? We're way past that. <laughs> so that leads us to the 256 part. I mean, let's remind ourselves first, though, that computers just deal with ones and zeros only. So it makes sense to scale things at powers of two. You know, like two squared, or two to the power of two equals four. All right, so far, so good. Two to the power of three equals eight. Two to the power of four equals 16. You know, two times two times two times two, that kind of thing. Yeah, this is two to the power of 256. That means it is 2 times 2 times 2 times 2 times 2 times 2, 256 times. The number you arrive at is a beast. I couldn't even read it to you in the English language if I tried. It would involve septheptillions, quinquarius yodezins, and probably five minutes just to stumble through it. 2 to the 256 is in the neighborhood of the number of atoms in the universe. Yeah, every star, planet, speck of dust inside of every black hole, add everything up in the observable universe. Yeah, whatever you input into SHA-256 will output a huge number. If we wrote it in decimal, it would be 77 digits long. So what this means is, for any input that you want to put in, a password, a text file, a document, a whole video, run it through SHA-256 and it'll pop out Basically, a random-looking 77-digit number. Conceptually, you could also imagine it like you give it some kind of input, and then it points to an exact address of one particular atom in this universe, like exactly which section of the universe, particular galaxy cluster, galaxy, star, system, grain of sand, all the way down, pick the exact atom in the universe. Thinking about it that way, if you ask two people to just guess numbers, what are the odds that they pick the exact same atom in the universe? Ooh, that's what all these computer science and math nerds mean when they say sufficiently large. So whatever 77-digit number pops out or whatever address to whatever atom in the universe pops out, you have no idea the input number that got you there. Yeah, well, that's cool. But so what? What's the point? Well, an easy and common example would actually be passwords. Back in the day, Windows would actually store your login password, let's just say, in plain text. So if your password is Packers56, they put Packers56 right in this file. Anyone who hacks your machine can just download the full password file. 
and thereby get the password for every person that's ever logged in. Is there a way we could use hashing to solve this? Oh yeah, hash algorithms to the rescue. This is a hash algorithm's bread and butter right here. So it's pretty straightforward. Whatever password you type in, Packers1234, they throw that through a SHA-256 algorithm. Then it spits out a 77-digit random-looking number. If you put in the same password again, Packers1234, it'll spit out the same hash every time. If you change one letter, if you put in a different password, of course, it'll spit out a completely different-looking number. Well, that's pretty sweet. So now Windows just needs to remember the hash value, the output. Even the computer itself doesn't even know what password you typed in in order to get there. So when you log into your computer, what's really happening, you type in that password and it gets hashed and it gets compared to the hash that's on file. If the hashes match, apparently you know the password. Well, that's really cool, but if we take a step back, that's kind of weird, isn't it? The net effect here, the computer does not know your actual password. In fact, when you type it into the login box there, it doesn't even see what you type in. doesn't hear your original password then either. But it knows you're right. It knows you know it. That's a little bit unsettling. We're starting to stumble into a bit of a new world here now called zero knowledge. ZK. The computer doesn't know your password, and you don't actually even tell them, but they know you know it. But let's talk a little more practically here, though. And again, focus on the file integrity part. So if I want to send you a one megabyte image, I and you want to make sure that it gets sent perfectly. In that example, I'd make a hash of it right away. And once again, once it arrives on your end, you take a hash of it and compare the hashes. Make sure they match. If they match, then you're good to go. For that matter, in between your laptop and the Wi-Fi router, same thing. Every bit of information that you send back and forth, you create a hash first. And then the router itself will also create a hash and check that they match. If so, it'll send it along to your other router, send it along to the ISP, send it along to the internet. In fact, any of that information sent over the internet always carries with it that hash value, the digest, the fingerprint. If there's an error with a fingerprint, doesn't work. Error with a file, doesn't work. So because of hashing, we can be 100% sure that we have exactly the right file. But we don't have to stop there. We could actually hash every single tiny piece, like every packet of data, and then for every kilobyte of data, make another hash. Thousand of those together is one megabyte, so hash every megabyte, hash every gigabyte. In effect, when we have one file, there's this huge tree of hashes going all the way down. So in this case, if you have a one gigabyte movie, let's just say the hashes don't match, eh, re-downloading the whole thing kind of sucks, but you could look down the list, go down these nodes, and find out exactly which megabyte is an error, and then which exact kilobyte is an error, and which exact tiny little packet was an error, fix that, boom, you're good to go. Without a hash algorithm, communicating over a noisy channel, like the internet or a Wi-Fi router, would be impossible, if you want to do so reliably. Without a hash algorithm, it'd be like copying from VHS tape to VHS tape to VHS tape, or sort of like if you take a picture and then print it, and then take a picture of that and print it, and take a picture of that one and then print it, uh, yeah, after you copied about 10 times, meh. Of course, they also use this idea with software download. On their public website, they will tell you straight up, if you download the original version of our software, here's the hash. That's canical. That's officially ours. If you download any software from any other source, hash it and see if it matches. If it matches, that's original. 
If it doesn't, it's fake. Simple as that. Yeah, BitTorrent is a file sharing program around the world. That's peer-to-peer. That means anyone can send anyone any part of any file. As a matter of fact, to make the whole thing work, it's built on hashes. The magnet link itself is the actual hash of the actual file. And of course, they have hash trees going all the way down to all the individual tiny parts. Yep. And every single piece that anyone downloads from anyone is all verified with them hashes. So let's dig into the actual hardware side of things. One great feature of the SHA-256 algorithm is it's really easy for all types of computers to do. To the tune of like, a normal computer can do this hundreds of millions of times a second. You could get an off-the-shelf GPU little hardware for your computer there that could probably bang out 5 billion hashes per second. That means they can take an input, run the SHA-256 algorithm, and give you the output 5 billion times a second. In short, it's absurdly easy to do. (laughs) I mean, let's face it, it's an algorithm that everyone in the world needs to compute all the time. Every single piece of internet infrastructure needs to compute this over and over and over again. Unsurprisingly, they started making custom chips. Basically, SHA-256 chips. In other words, they started with the algorithm, the exact steps that need to be done, and they custom designed circuits that can do them super fast. Or to say it differently, can do it a billion times a second. SHA-256 has been around since 2001. Two decades in computer time? Trust me, they optimized it. (laughs) So now, computers, tablets, smartwatches, Wi-Fi routers, you name it. They all rock out with SHA-256 chips straight from the factory. So if I touch on Bitcoin and cryptocurrency here for just a moment... The foundation of most blockchains is SHA-256 hash. When you want to make a transaction, that gets hashed. The whole block gets hashed. And let's remember, no matter how many things you add in the input side of a hash, it always pops out with a number that is 256 bits long. So somewhere between 0 and a 77-digit number. Whoop, whoop. The whole process of verifying transactions is exactly that, running through all the hashes and recomputing them, making sure they all add up. So if every transaction has a hash and every block is a hash of all those hashes, well, if you change one piece, meaning put in a fake transaction or change the details of one transaction, nope, it doesn't compute. The block doesn't add up, my friend. The hash of the block's different. Something's wrong. In other words, Because blockchains like Bitcoin are built upon SHA-256, that history integrity is super easy to verify and impossible to fake. Now, we could get stuck in the weeds all day long on how Bitcoin and blockchain works. But to zoom into the important parts, the entire concept of mining Bitcoin is SHA-256. I got to brush over a lot of details and nuances and hopefully don't accidentally oversimplify So, in the case of Bitcoin, it works sort of like this. Every 10 minutes, there's a new block. And there's a brand new random-looking number. That number's the target. That means run something through the SHA-256 algorithm, pump out a hash, that's your target. Now, to nail it, to guess the whole thing, all 256 bits, this entire 77-digit number, to guess it on the nose? No, that's impossible. But they'll say something to the effect of, hey, the first 12 digits have got to match. 20 digits, 25 digits, or whatever the case is. In other words, in effect, it creates like a worldwide lottery. Anybody in the world can guess 
any input number that they want, hash it and find out if the first 12 digits or so match. If so, they win the lottery and they win the block reward, for example, 10 Bitcoin. So the whole world knows what the target is, but the fly in the soup is SHA-256 is only one way. That means the only way to get anywhere close is a brute force guessing game. Sort of works like this. Pick a random number, hash it, and see if the first 12 digits match. Nope, try again. Rinse and repeat until you find a number whose hash matches the target. If your computer is the first one to find it, the whole world instantly knows you won the lottery. And hence that computer wins the reward. So now it's just a question of how many random numbers can you guess, hash, and check the result. A billion a second, a trillion a second. Let's remind ourselves we're basically just searching for a lucky lotto number. We're just number guessing. It's not a whole lot more fancy than that. So Bitcoin miners, all they are is SHA-256 chips. That's it. They use a fancy word, ASIC, spelled A-S-I-C, Application Specific Integrated Circuit. Ah, Application Specific, that means SHA-256 only, hashing only. Uh, integrated Circuit. Ah, it's built from the ground up with that in mind. Got it. I tell you, some of them big rigs, they can guess a number, hash it and compare it a quadzillion times a second. Humans can't even fathom that number. Everyone who's mining Bitcoin is competing in the same lottery. Yep, souped up number guessing machines, that's it. That's all mining is. So if the worldwide collective supercomputer mining network here is producing some number of hashes per second, and let's say your computers and your rigs are about 10% of the total hash rate, statistically you'd probably win this lottery roughly 10% of the time. That means every 10 minutes you have a 10% chance of winning 10 Bitcoin. Just to ballpark, it depends on when you check, but that could be around 200,000 bucks. Good for you. 10% chance of 200 grand every 10 minutes? Mm, average that out and you're getting about 20 grand every 10 minutes. Do the math on that, whoo, you'll be a millionaire in a hurry. And every time you're the winner of that lottery, not only you get the money, but you get to declare exactly what the block contains. Another name for this lottery system I just described is proof of work. That means your earnings from the network and the degree to which you are able to participate is exactly proportional to how many numbers you guess relative to the overall network. So taking a look at these nodes in the Bitcoin network, 99.9999% of all that computing power they have in all those warehouses is purely going to guessing random numbers, hashing them and seeing how close they are. That's it. 0.0001% actually does the heavy lifting of verifying transactions and making everything legit. You may well know already there's a lot of Bitcoin mining going on in this world. And the vast majority of it is purely SHA-256. Over and over again for all time. Bitcoin is the largest collective supercomputer ever built in the history of humanity. And all it is is a way overbuilt SHA-256 number guessing machine. So a lot of people accuse Bitcoin of being an egregious waste of electricity computing resources, chips, and they're right. Let's take a step back here. A lot of people are uncomfortable with that word impossible to break. There's a lot of claims that this computer, this encryption or whatever is unbreakable. A lot of clever folks are quick to counter with nothing's impossible. You could eventually break anything, can't you? And you're right, yes. The trick is to know and prove exactly where that point is. 
and on average how much resources it'll take to get there. Finally, pick numbers that are sufficiently large. So yes, if you had infinite power, infinite computing resources that can do things infinitely fast, yes, you can break 2 shot 56, absolutely. But once again, that would be like one by one counting every single atom in the universe. So the trick is you gotta figure out how long do you need this to remain valid and safe and secure, and how many resources would a hacker or someone reasonably have? From there, how long you want it to take them. They even sat around and thought of things like, what if you took every single grain of sand on Earth to make computers and you harnessed 100% of the energy of the entire sun? Then how many times can you run SHA-256? All right, so let's multiply that times a million for sure to be on the safe side. Ah, computers might advance. What the hell? Let's multiply it by a billion times again. Safe to say 2 to the 256 is way beyond that. It's way out there in crazy town. Like every computer that could possibly be built, given the resources of this planet, times a quadzillion for a quadzillion years, they would have way less than a quadzillion and one chance of guessing the right number. It's beyond that. That's how far out we are. So technically, yeah, you can figure out the input number eventually. Chances are in a quadzillion years, it won't be very relevant. So they probably just call it infeasible. So for all practical purposes, yeah, it's impossible. One more thing I wanted to touch on is how general use this really can be. To remind you, we can hash anything, including a tiny bit of text or any file comprised of ones and zeros, an MP3, a video, any input we want and any size of input that we want. When looking at the hash output, the signature of the digest, you have no idea. Was it a piece of text? Was this a document, a contract? A bunch of other hashes, a random number, you have no idea what the input was. So on certain crypto chains, for example, Ethereum, you could imagine Ethereum just as a list of transactions, a list of hashes. That's it. You're welcome to crack open the old blockchains of Bitcoin and Ethereum. And if you looked at it in binary, you'll see it's just a bunch of 256-bit long ones and zeros. If it was in decimal, it'd be 77 digit. But in effect, it's just a big old list. Well, here's the thing, we can actually put anything on that list that we really want. It's just gotta be a 256-bit number. Sweet. We can hash anything and put it on the blockchain if we want. Again, there's a bunch of nuance here. I'm skipping over details, but broadly speaking, I could, for example, get married and write up my marriage contract, hash it, and put that hash on the blockchain. Yep. If I wanna patent a new invention, I could write up the full invention, the full details and everything about it, pile it together, hash it, and put that hash on the blockchain. When people look at that hash, they're like, what is it for? No idea. What's written in it? I don't know. Is it a work of art, a contract? I have no idea, but I know it's there. So let's say 40 years later, someone else stole your invention and wanted to go and patent it. You could tell them, hey, no, I invented that first, prove it. Well. Yep, you can go right back to the blockchain, timestamped, bang. That's when I put a hash in, right at exactly at this date and time, 100% for sure. Oh, and by the way, here's all the work that I did on it. Hash it, oh, they match. Yep, I'm the rightful owner. Yep, I'm the original inventor, period. Once a blockchain is able to accept a hash of anything, the sky's the limit. The DMV, every time someone registers a car, driver's license number, driver's plate, VIN number, sign it, hash it. 
And again, anyone who's looking at the blockchain sees your hash is there, but they don't know what it's for or what it contains. But if you want to prove that that record was valid as of that day, sure can. Produce the original and in one millionth of a second, they know it's legit. So as you wrap up, I want to mention a few other cool things. First, can hashes be longer than this? Yes, absolutely. SHA-256 just happens to be a world standard. Again, it's sufficiently large. But the algorithm is flexible such that if you want 128-bit or 256-bit or 1,000-bit, you know, you can certainly choose whatever you'd like. Are there more hashing algorithms than just SHA-256? Absolutely. Not every application requires this degree of security. There are some that are much simpler or can be customized for certain purposes. Amazon warehouses, for example, have dozens of different hashing algorithms, styles, and purposes. Who invented SHA-256? Ah, the American NSA. Yeah, buddy. You know how Alan Turing broke the Enigma code? Yeah, he'd be like one of those NSA guys. In the last 70, 80 years, they haven't slowed down, my friend. But they knew SHA-256 would be the secret sauce that can protect information digitally around the world. Has anyone tried breaking the SHA-256 algorithm before? Oh, yes, absolutely. There's been thousands of decent attempts. And indeed, a few tiny flaws have been found. But don't get too excited here. Instead of taking a quadzillion, zillion, 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 zillion years, it's that divided by two now. All right, good for you. <laughs> At best, you can hope to find the tiniest chink in the armor. It's still invisible by a long shot. But the NSA has quantum computers. Can't quantum computers break encryption? Yes and no. One magic ability of quantum computers is they are able to attempt multiple inputs simultaneously. To be more specific, they have something called Shor's algorithm, which is a magic little algorithm that only works on quantum machines and makes cracking SHA-256 kind of feasible. But for perspective, the best that they can do so far is something real low, like 10, 20 bits at a time. Nowhere close to where they need to be. Most experts believe SHA-256 is good to go for our lifetimes, despite quantum computers. But you know how those tech nerds are, always taking it to the next level. So around the time they invented Shor's algorithm, another guy invented a secure hashing algorithm that's quantum computer proof. As a matter of fact, they're already out there. In the case of cryptocurrency, indeed, several of them choose to use hashing algorithms that are quantum computer resistant. So therefore, we could say that SHA-256 is not necessarily the most modern algorithm ever made. That was considered standard in 2001, but since then, in 2015, international standards adopted an algorithm called KCHAC, and they basically accepted it as SHA version 3. In principle, it works exactly the same. In fact, it can be a drop-in replacement on the hardware level or software or whatever. Likewise, that's free and open for anyone to download, use, program, and so forth. One cool feature of KCHAC, for example, is that you can create an output of whatever length you want. Sure, if you want it to be 256, go ahead. But if you want to be 2 to the million, nothing's stopping you. You ever heard that term overkill? In the case of cryptography, they take the idea of feasibility to its wildest conclusion, multiply it times a quadzillion, then go way beyond that, beyond the edges of the known universe. So to sum it all up with some key takeaways here, the secure hash algorithm, SHA, 
basically takes any kind of input and gives you a rock solid, random looking 256 bit output every time. A digest, a fingerprint, you could also call it a checksum, an index, a hash value. Every time you put in the same input, you're going to get exactly the same output. Exactly. You can't go backwards. If you have the output, you have no idea what went in. And we can use this to prove that we have the actual original file, register this hash somewhere, and thereby create time-stamped proof of said contract, file, or item. And if we create a whole tree or chain of hashes, as long as the top one matches, we know all the leaves or anything down the chain also matches too. 2 to the 256 is crazy big, 70 digits, atoms in the universe big, such that despite computing this quadzillions and quadzillions of times a second for X number of years, chances are no one's ever computed the same exact hash output before, ever. SHA-256 exists everywhere, the bedrock of our digital lives, the fundamental force that makes blockchain and hence cryptocurrencies work a crucial component for message and file transfer. And arguably SHA-256 is the most computed and used algorithm ever in the history of computing and facilitates the system of trust and integrity of our modern lives.